All right, friends, we're going to wrap up the life of Solomon today. This is chapter 11 of 1 Kings, and it's not going to end well. And we're transitioning out of the life of Solomon into the king's regular narrative, which is to go from king to king to king, from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom and back again depending on who's reigning and who's dying and who's living. And the end of Solomon's reign is going to start this. Um, and so just a few things to note. We're going to be talking about Solomon's wives. We're also going to be talking about Solomon's adversaries. God is going to, we're going to have a report of adversaries that the Lord had raised up for Solomon to kind of chastise him for his unfaithfulness. Um, and this is going to remind us of in the book of Judges when God left the nations in the land that weren't defeated by Joshua to test Israel and to teach them war and as a kind of a, a discipline for their unbelief and not totally driving out the nations and so um, it's similar here uh, but there's also a bit of a parallelism here you might remember that Solomon's reign at the beginning of this book started with uh, Solomon needing to overcome his adversaries to becoming king that uh, one of his brothers tr attempted to become king in his place and then he had to deal with Joab and he had to deal with Shimei and <coughs> excuse me and so there's a, a structural connection from the beginning of the life of Solomon to the end of the life of Solomon that it begins with adversaries that Solomon overcomes and ends with adversaries that Solomon does not overcome and remember the fulcrum, the central point of the life of Solomon is when he spends more time building his own house than he did the temple of the living God. But we're going to uh, chronicle the downfall and death of Solomon in this chapter. Verse 1. Now Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Okay, so here is the pr prophet author of the book describing directly a problem and quoting the scripture that forbids this. Now in the last couple of chapters I was talking about Deuteronomy where it says not to amass gold and not to amass horses but the author doesn't specifically cite those verses. Here the author because he's moving into direct condemnation of Solomon's practices in the name of the Lord he's going to quote the Old Testament commands forbidding this activity. Verse 3, he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. So Solomon, as like the dominant king and emperor in the area, would be receiving gifts of royal wives from other royalty around him as a way of trying to form alliances and stuff like that. Uh, Solomon should have not been accepting these gifts, but he did, and so he ended up with a very extensive harem. Um like houses that would have just been to house his uh, political wives and the concubines maybe would be more of just um, a connection for personal um, the satisfaction of the flesh or whatever. I'm not totally sure, but lots of royal connections for political means. But once they were in his life and he became one th with them through sex, um, he failed to convert them 
to the worship of Yahweh, like the Queen of Sheba did. Instead, they converted him to the worship of their foreign gods. Verse 4, And when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Now, remember, this triggers the warning of God that he talked to David about, and he also talked to Solomon about that they needed to stay faithful to God in order to enjoy the promises and the mercies of God as a nation. So this is triggering that warning. Don't let your heart turn away from me or else they'll be disciplined. Verse 5, For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. He can't even call, the author can't even call him a god, just calls him an abomination. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their gods. <clears throat> so what it sounds like here, you know, it's not claiming that Solomon has totally abandoned the faith. It says like he was not wholehearted in it, but he's been accommodating these women's faith and creating places for them to worship their gods in Israel and, and joining with them. Um, so he's got this massively divided heart, which is going to lead to a massively divided kingdom with um, the northern kingdom separating from the southern kingdom and civil war in between the two. And that divide starts in the king's heart. Divided loyalty to the gods, divided nations, and divided men. A united heart serving the Lord, united nation. That's what the, the theme is here. All right. Verse 9, God's response, And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. So the anger of the Lord here is a feeling. We get our experiences of anger um, to Im imitate God's experience of anger, but when it doesn't mean it's an out-of-control anger, God is always in control of all of his feelings, whatever they're described, or however they're described in the scriptures. Um, so God feels rejected, God feels wronged here, and God is going to act with righteousness and justice against the wrong he is suffering. His covenant with Solomon has been broken, and God is going to respond with justice. And that's what anger means. God, For God, it's not just like a feeling where your brain turns off and you start hitting things. It means for him that he is suffering an injustice and he's going to respond with justice. He's going to reject the wrongdoing here. And that's what anger means theologically when God is experiencing it. He is choosing to reject something that is uh, wrong is happening. He's going to deal with it. Verse 11, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since you have this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant, my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of your hand, the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. All right, so this is the third communication to Solomon that's going on, and this is a rejection communication. He's acknowledging that Solomon really has turned away 
And it's interesting, we don't hear Solomon's response. We don't hear contrition. We don't hear repentance. We don't hear grieving. And so that would be a sign that Solomon's heart isn't broken by this prophetic communication from the Lord. Instead, what we have here is God revealing his plan. He's going to take the kingdom away from David, but he's made this promise to David that one of his children is going to sit on the throne forever, and so he's going to tear away uh, ten tribes and leave um, David's descendant uh, two, and including the holy city, Jerusalem. So he's God is finding the way here to do justice and maintain faithfulness to his promise. And this is God's challenge, so to speak, though God finds nothing ultimately challenging. His challenge in dealing with an unfaithful people is, is finding the way to reject sin, which is worthy of rejection, while fulfilling the promises that God has given. There are some promises that are completely conditional promises that people have to do their end of the bargain in order for God to be required to do his. But there are some promises that God has made unilaterally. His decision to bless the world through Abraham was a promise that God swore by himself to fulfill. And with David as well, he's made this promise that one of David's sons is going to sit on the throne. And so he has to, wants to, chooses to um, be faithful to his own promises while executing the covenant punishments. <clears throat> Verse 14. The Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite, who was of the royal house of Edom. For when David was in Edom and Joab, the commander of the army, went up to bury the slain, he struck down every male in Edom. For Joab and all Israel remained there six months until they cut off every male from Eden, Edom. So this is from, this adversary was sown sometime later. Um, there were some commands in Deuteronomy about doing this kind of thing when you're having foreign wars about cutting off the males. Um, so this wasn't against the law of God. It, it, it It's it's pretty harsh. However, those were very harsh days back then where people were killing each other. And so to cut off the males would weaken them militarily so that there could be some peace for a generation or so. Not good. Not, not something anyone would enjoy. Not going to be part of the new heavens and the new earth, but part of Israelite warfare and the uh, rule of God over warfare at that time. But Hadad fled to Egypt together with certain Edomites of his father's servants, Hadad still being a little child. They set out from Midian and came to Paran and took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who gave him a house and assigned him an allowance of food and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh so that he gave him in marriage the sister of his own wife, the sister of Tapanes, the queen. And the sister of Tapanes bore him Genubath, his son, whom Tapanes weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Genubath was in Pharaoh's house among the sons of Pharaoh. But when Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers, and that Joab the commander of the army was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart, that I may go to my own country. But Pharaoh said to him, What have you lacked with me, that you are now seeking to go to your own country? And he said, Only let me depart. So we have the story of this uh, adversary named Hadad, who actually had gone back to Edom even once David had died. So this is like chapters ago in the actual story. But if you listen carefully, this sounds like a new Moses. This sounds like the Moses story where Moses has fled a killing, except he's gone to Egypt. You know, they were killing the babies, and Moses ended up in Pharaoh's household being raised by Pharaoh um, in order, and then coming into the promised land. This is what it sounds like. It's, it's kind of a far echo, but <coughs> somebody who fled being killed by David 
went into Pharaoh's household, was raised by Pharaoh, had his own children raised by Pharaoh, and then is now coming back to the Middle East um, on mission there. And it's on mission under God, not really. I mean, God raised him up. It's not like God is leading this guy, but God's allowed this to happen. And so I wonder if the connection is, you know, in the previous chapter was talking about um, Solomon getting horses from Egypt and Solomon getting a wife from Egypt. And you almost wonder, you know, God's saying, I told you not to go back to Egypt. So if you're going to get wives and horses from Egypt, why don't I also supply for you an adversary from Egypt? If you want to go back to Egypt, I can raise up for you an adversary from Egypt. I wonder if that's kind of a theme going on here. Verse 23, God also raised up an adversary to him, Rezin, the son of Eliada, who had fled from his master, Hedadezer, king of Zobah. I've, I don't know where those places are. And he gathered men about him and became leader of a marauding band after the killing by David. And they went to Damascus and lived there and made him king in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, doing harm as Hadad did. And he loathed Israel and reigned over Syria. Okay, so now we have a description. When Hadad came back, he was just marauding. So he was like stealing. Uh, he'd be raiding cities and stuff like this. And now this other character, Rezin, is a marauder and has taken over Damascus and is also doing that kind of thing. He's reigning over Syria and he's battling Israel. And now this is the big one. The first two adversaries are both from outside of Israel. One's an Edomite. The other one is um, becomes like a Syrian, essentially ruling over Syria. But this third person, Jeroboam, is actually from inside Israel. And this is the story of God um, raising up a competing king. Remember he said that he's going to tear the kingdom away from Solomon's son, except for a small portion of it. And this is the story of raising up that person that God's going to hand the northern kingdom over to. And this person is going to come from within Israel. Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, an Ephraimite of Zeradah, a servant of Solomon, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also lifted up his hand against the king. And this was the reason why he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built the millow and closed up the breach in the city of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was very able, and when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. Okay, so I think God had even said he was going to raise up an adversary from his own house. Do you remember that? Uh, I'm just looking back here. Forgive me for the break. Um, da -da 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 yes. I, I don't remember if, if, it, if he said he was going to... Oh, yeah, I will give it to your servant. There it is, verse 11. I will tear the king away and give it to your servant. So it's like, oh, that's interesting. I give it to a servant. So what kind of servant? Well, is Jeroboam. That's who he's talking about. So he's this industrious guy who gets promoted in Solomon's uh, workforce because he's really good at stuff. He gets set over the forced labor of the house of Joseph. Verse 29. And at that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now Ahijah had dressed himself in a new garment, and the two of them were alone in the open country. Now, we're being introduced to prophets again. Prophets haven't really appeared for a while in this story, since like Nathan, I think. Um, but prophets are going to be the hand through whom God rules over the kings in the rest of this story. 
Um, God is going to elevate the prophets as the men who go and raise up or tear down kingdoms in the name of the Lord. And they're going to contend with the kings. And in, in good, the good times between David and Solomon, um, God talked directly to these kings. That was normal. Sometimes he rebuked them, like Nathan had to rebuke David. But now we're going to see uh, the prophets really being God's mouthpiece, ruling over the kings. And especially Elijah and Elisha are going to become the centerpiece of this whole book. The book of First and Second Kings revolves around the lives of Elijah and Elisha and their dealings. And really just saying that, you know, God reigns over the kings of Israel. That's the point of that organization of the book. But we're here we're being reintroduced to prophets ruling over the kingdoms by appointing and tearing down kingdoms. Verse 30, Then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and give it, give, and I will give you ten tribes. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I've chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Let's pause there for a sec. Interestingly, there are 12 pieces, 10 go to Jeroboam, one goes to Solomon. It's like, where's the last one? And I think what goes on is that technically um, uh, Solomon's going to retain or Solomon's descendants are going to retain Judah, but Benjamin is within Judah. So Benjamin kind of goes with Judah. Um, I think that's how I understand it. Verse 33, because he has forsaken me, worship Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemish, the god of Moab, Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, and they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and keep my statutes and my rules, as David his father did. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life, for the sake of David my servant, whom I chose, who kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, and will give it to you, ten tribes. Yet to his son I will give one tribe that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I've chosen to put my name. So that's, again, the explanation of why some, at least one tribe stays behind. God feels obligated, or God has a point to make in keeping his promise that he's going to be faithful to David by keeping a small kingdom going. Verse 37, I will take you and you shall reign over all that your soul desires and you shall be king over Israel. And if you will listen to all that I command you and will walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did, I will be with you and will build you a sure house as I built for David. Uh, and I will give Israel to you. Okay, so this is an amazing promise. When I'm reading this, I'm like, when, when you think about the story of the Bible, you think, well, David is special and Solomon's special. Um, these kings are special, but God was willing to have that same kind of relationship with Jeroboam. He was willing to make Jeroboam another David if he chose to be faithful. And because we know Jeroboam sucks and is an unbeliever, ultimately, um, you can think that God didn't mean it. But when God tore those ten kingdoms away, he did it with the promise that he would treat Jeroboam the same way that he treated David if he'd be faithful, which is amazing. I just, I just think it's good to stop there and be like, wow. God, this was a redo. This was, could have been a redo. The northern kingdom could have been as great as united Israel in the days of David if Jeroboam had had the faith to walk it out. Verse 39, And I will afflict the offspring of David because of this, but not forever. So that's the last of God talking, but not forever. And uh, interestingly, like ultimately, God has in mind that he's going to set Jesus on the throne of all of Israel through his death and resurrection. So 
David is going to be, um, David's offsprings are going to be afflicted because of Solomon, so they're going to be restricted to just be ruling over Jerusalem. But there is going to be a day when that, that punishment ends, and ultimately it does end through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no united Israel after this. There's uh, Jerusalem, or sorry, there is Judah, but there's no united Israel with all the tribes. But the, when it says, but not forever, I think ultimately that's thinking about Christ, who becomes the king over Israel for all time and unites all people into himself. Verse 40, Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. So again, this like return to Egypt thing going on, so that out of Egypt is coming trouble. Solomon thought out of Egypt is coming a wife and coming my greatness with the horses, but actually out of Egypt is coming trouble for the kingdom because God told them not to do that, and they still did it. Verse 41, now the rest of the Acts of Solomon, all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? In the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem, over all Israel was 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father. And Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. Okay, so at the end of chapter 11, we get this summary statement that's going to become very familiar to us throughout this book. Where whenever a king dies, they're going to kind of quote the source that they've selectively taken material out of for this book. Uh, there was another book called the Books of the Acts of Solomon. Yeah, maybe that's partially where his proverbs were written down and we have our collection from. Um, but this is going to be the habit of the writer, the the prophet. He's going to say, this is where I'm... Uh, there's more stuff to say about Solomon. I've collected some of his life for the book I'm writing here. And then they're going to say how long they reigned for and that they slept with their fathers and then who reigned in their place. And that ends chapter 11, which ends the life of Solomon, which ends the whole first act of the book. Um, the life of Solomon and God being faithful to the son of David, but the son of David not being faithful to the Lord and setting up the rest of the book of Kings, which is going to be the story of the divided nations and how they were interacted with the prophets and sometimes they were okay mostly almost exclusively the southern kingdom having good kings uh, but there's going to be a lot of war a lot of battle and God wrestling with the kingdoms over generations as he's punishing them for their unbelief and trying to stay faithful to his promises to David in this book all right be blessed uh, children of God and thank goodness for the king Jesus, who unites people from every tribe and tongue into his one kingdom, not just the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom of Israel, but people from every tribe and tongue throughout the entire world will be united in the King Christ Jesus, the true Solomon, the true son of David, who is the one who fulfills all of God's promises. All of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus, including the ones we just heard, that the kingdom of David would be afflicted, but not forever. That promise is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ.